0: John chapter 8, I'm going to continue our study of this gospel this morning, which we've been enjoying together, as we're pointed to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and this morning's title is, Hope in His Ability. Life is a, is a gift, we talk about that frequently here, it's obviously a gift from our gracious God, and one of my favorite parts of life is watching my children grow in their abilities, Watching them grow in, in, in who God made them to be, the strengths that he gave them, watching them work hard at something and improve, that's a great blessing to, to watch. And I, I enjoy that even just in terms of the church and seeing other people grow in their abilities. Again, taking the gifts that God's given them and working at it and practicing and enduring and growing and changing and improving. It's a great, it's a great gift, a great part of life. And beyond just the interpersonal type relationships like that, there are opportunities to see what people have done in, in a larger scale. When you think about technology and you think about how far we've come. Something like as simple as a smartphone and all the ability that our smartphones have. I think of um, often I'm, I'm driving around and I, I see an impressive structure of some kind. I recently went over the Newport Bridge. I'm driving over the bridge and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is amazing. If you took someone from biblical times put them in a time machine and brought them into our time, they would be blown away by the things that we have. From the bridge itself to the cars that are driving over the bridge, all these types of inventions, all because God created us with abilities and a capacity for growth and technology. Such a good gift in how God created us and the way He made things in this world. And yet, with all this ability there is still one problem that we cannot solve. As far as humans have come, including in the area of medical advancements, we cannot solve the problem of death, can we? Our inevitable death. We have no ability when it comes to that problem. In fact, even if we were able to somehow, some way, come up with like a fountain of youth or some way to gain immortality in our personhood, we still are living on a planet that is dying. Scientists talk about the the heat death of the universe, the inevitable heat death of the universe, which is not a fun topic to think about, but it's a reality. Like The ship is going down, and we are all going down with the ship. That is just the truth, because we can't solve this problem of death. But what we see in John chapter 8, is we have a God who has solved the problem of death. We have a God who through His Son, through Jesus, has provided for us to have eternal life. To transcend our confinement to this fallen world and these fallen bodies. To be redeemed by our God. To be saved by Him, both spiritually and eventually physically. That is what we have because of who our great Savior Jesus is. And it's all a result of His ability. His unique ability. So our two observations this morning are going to be these. Where our ability gets us, okay, where our ability gets us, and then secondly, where his ability gets us. So for starters, let's look at the first few verses and think about our ability. And you'll see here in the first verse why I'm calling this sermon Hope in His Ability. Look at verse 21. It says, Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin, and where I am going, you cannot come. Now this continues, the the context we've been looking at, Jesus interacting with the religious people. there in Jerusalem, they've gathered for this feast, the feast has just come to a conclusion, and he is still still enduring and striving with people, and urging them to believe in him. And there's this dialogue back and forth. And here he says, I'm going away, and you're going to seek me, you're going to come looking for me. Because of their being intrigued by his presence and intrigued by the things he was saying, he knew they would come looking for him. And he says, and yet you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The word cannot is actually the word you have no ability or you have no power. When we think of you cannot come, we may think in terms of what we're allowed to do. Like we're not allowed to come. But really, this has to do with our inability to come. It's not that we're not permitted to come per se exactly here. It's, it's that we don't have the power to come. It's from the original language. The word is dunamis. It's the word from which we get the English dynamite, which is a powerful force. Well, the word has evolved over time, but it begins with this term that has to do with power or ability, what a person has within themselves and what they can do by their own energy or by their own strength. And Jesus is here saying, you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. You have no ability to come. He's making that point very clearly. Verse 22, the Jews were saying then, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They surmised this had something to do with his death, but they were thinking, well, maybe he's he's going to kill himself. He's going to take his own life or something. And he's saying that we can't come with him to death. They were... Confused, they were ignorant concerning what he was describing. Look at verse 23. He was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Notice the word below and the word world. You're from below, you're from this place, I'm from above. Part of being from this place is we are limited. Temporal beings, fragile beings, mortal beings. And apart from God's grace and God's rescue, we, we would be stuck in this world. We'd be stuck going down with the ship. And it's interesting that he, he is speaking these words, these words of truth that are kind of difficult words, but necessary words for them to hear. He's speaking them to religious people who to this point have believed, well... Okay, life's not perfect, but we're doing pretty well. We have our God. We have our traditions. They just got finished with this great celebration, the Feast of Booths. They had the law. They believed that to one degree or another they were keeping the law, fulfilling the law. They thought things were going pretty well. But Jesus is saying to them, you're missing something. You're still stuck here. You're confined to this place and everything that you're capable of, your own abilities. And, And here's where that gets you. It gets you nowhere. Verse 24, therefore I said to you, and he repeats this idea, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So this idea of dying in sin, this is what our human ability gets us. There's a statement that we used to repeat at our church in Washington when I was there for many years, we would repeat this statement, sin is not manageable, the law is not attainable, but Jesus is reliable. Sin is not manageable. The law is not attainable. But Jesus is reliable. As we've talked about throughout this study, we have ways of kind of bringing the law's standard down to our level, simplifying it, ways that we can still feel good about our own sense of personal righteousness that somehow we contrive. We can think if if it just relates to what I do on a Sunday, if it just relates to what words I allow to come out of my mouth if it relates to decisions I make to not steal at the store I visit, or something like that. If we we think on those levels, then we can feel like we're we're somehow attaining the law to some degree. But if we think in terms of how the Bible defines sin, if we think in terms of our attitude toward our, our Creator in every moment, if we think in terms of our level of gratitude, or I should say ingratitude so frequently, our discontentment, things like that, If we think of the Bible's prescription that we should rejoice always. In the New Testament, I think it's in Ephesians where Paul says we should give thanks not just in all things, but for all things, even the hard things, even the painful things, even the confusing things, even the vexing things. If we think in terms of those realities of how we relate from the heart to our maker and to the people around us, then all of us are failing When we see ourselves in sin, we're seeing the essence of our ability. That's where our ability gets us. And along with that ability, which gets us sin, which is really a disability, we are are stuck with death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall, what? Die. In the very beginning, in the garden, God said to Adam, even the day you take of that fruit, you will surely Die all because of our autonomy and our independence and those deep levels of our selfishness and greed that's where our ability gets us it gets us to sin it gets us to death but thank god he doesn't leave us there he doesn't he doesn't consign us to that place of ultimate doom he comes to rescue and that's what jesus is doing right here right now in this religious community saying hey you st- you need me the, the law is not enough which is why in Matthew, he said, I, I didn't come to abolish the law. Because they heard him saying things like this. And they're like, wait a minute, is he saying that the law is not valuable? Is he saying Moses is not valuable? He says, no, on the contrary. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And literally that word is to fill up. He, he came to be the substance. All the shadows, all the, the types and images of their feasts and all the rituals. We, the last few weeks we've talked about the light rituals. And how he fulfilled, as he showed himself to be, and he declared himself to be the light of the world. The water rituals, and he said, I am the living water. I mean, he's pointing that he is the real substance, the real stuff. He's the rescue from outside of this world that we so desperately need within this world. He's the substance, and he's right there in their midst, appealing to them. And he's no less than, no less than God. And so he gives these indications throughout. I don't know what translation, most of you, I think, have the ESV I use the NASB, and and unfortunately here in verse 24, it adds a pronoun. So when it says, therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, and in my Bible it says, I am he, you will die in your sins. But the word he is not there. He's saying, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I believe he's hearkening back to Exodus. Remember Moses is nervous. God has called him to go before Pharaoh. It's like, well, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? I can't just go on my own authority. And God says, tell him I am has sent you. The God who always has been, who is and always will be. The everlasting God. And Jesus is here saying, pointing to himself and saying, unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. Because it it takes the ability of God to rescue us cannot rescue ourselves. That's why I said earlier, sin is not manageable. It's not. You can't manage it. The law is not attainable. He is reliable. He is the one with the ability. So right there, in their midst, the embodiment of this ability of almighty God in the flesh. I am, Jesus says, throughout John's gospel, the, the words I am occur quite a few times coming from Jesus' mouth. I am the bread of life. We saw that. Earlier in chapter 6, I am the light of the world. Just earlier in this chapter, in chapter 8. Later, he'll say, I am the door of the sheep. And then after that, he'll say, I am the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am, I am. Always pointing to, in essence, his full deity. And in those other moments, he uses the metaphors or he fills in the blank, I am this or I am that. And here he just says, I am, I am, the being God, always has been is now, always will be. And here we are in this limited world, from below, of this place, natural, limited, on this conveyor belt, moving toward our inevitable death. And God, through Scripture, invites us to reckon with our mortality, for our own good, not for our harm, but for our good. I think of this, and this this saddens me, I was listening to a podcast recently about this environmental challenge that we have in the world, and of course, there are all different opinions about it, and to what degree is climate change happening? There's all this debate that goes on, and I don't pretend to know all the details of that. I'm no genius when it comes to those things. I'm intrigued, and I think there are some things that are different, but then how you account for those things, it's it's a big conundrum, okay, to dig into all that. I don't want to get into all that, but it's interesting that they're saying Those who are honest and willing to look at the topic objectively are saying, we've got this interesting correlation where, especially among young people, some are attributing the rise in clinical depression. They're attributing to the rise in clinical depression to this environmentalism because the environmentalist message is such a doom and gloom message because there's no ultimate salvation because things are dying out. And even if human efforts can mitigate that to some degree, The intelligent person, including the intelligent elementary school student, can figure out we're doomed here. And without God, and as our culture increasingly abandons belief in God and embraces humanism and embraces this idea that science can solve all problems, well, you're not going to solve that one. You might be able to maybe postpone it a smidge, but you're not going to solve it. And so people are clinically depressed because there's no hope. If hope has to come from this place and the eggheads that walk around on this earth, we're in a lot of trouble. We have a God who through his word says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is here saying, listen, this is where your ability gets you. Yes, you have great abilities. We we started on that point in the message this morning. It's great that we have these gifts and we can grow we can bigger, stronger, faster. That's a great gift in life, but it also goes like this, doesn't it? And some of us are closer to this side of it. We're like, oh yeah, those were the good days. Now it's winding down. It's, you're not going to stop that. And here's a God who meets us right where we're at in our everyday real experience with this fallen world and these fallen bodies and our struggles with sin and says, believe in me. Believe in me. I'm the rescuer. I'm the savior. And I'm not from this place. And I'm not made of the stuff of this place. I'm the everlasting God. And I've come to redeem this place. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. It goes on from there. So they were saying to him, and here's the controversy continues, who, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning, but, concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So over and over again though, and this is part of, of what is difficult for our human minds to fully grasp. I mean he is he is God, he is Yahweh incarnate. He's God the Son and he has his father, his God the Father and his God the Spirit. So this is a, a reference of course to the Trinity. And he says in our in our relationship with one another, I've been the delegate sent to convey this truth, this message, but I come from him and the one they claim to be their God and all their traditions that they're all engaged in it's for their God supposedly. He's like, "Well, I'm I'm from Him. And that was confusing. They didn't fully understand or grasp what was happening, it says. Not realize. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And again, I, I just would use, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Christ is the one always pleasing to His Father. Always trusting His Father. Always grateful. Always content. Always joyful. Always putting the needs of others before His own. It's truly amazing. This ministry in tandem with one another, in unity with one another. And and it says in verse 30, and as, as David mentioned earlier this morning, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. Many, many came to conclude, yeah, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is the truth. This transcends what we've heard. This transcends our kind of human rituals and traditions. And though they were prescribed back there in the Old Testament, there was something kind of missing. And this, he seems to kind of bring all the pieces together. And they believed. It's interesting in verse 28, if you go back there, he mentions being lifted up. And this has come up throughout... John's Gospel as well, this idea of Christ being lifted up, and he says, when I'm lifted up, you'll know that I am. And I believe this also points back to Numbers 21, and I want you to turn there if you would. You don't have to if you can't get back there quickly enough, I'll read it to you. But Numbers 21, it's interesting, I don't know if this is a familiar story to you or not, but it's an intriguing story for sure. Israelites are wandering the wilderness and they're murmuring and complaining against Moses and against God, and they... They're begrudging the fact that God took them out of Egypt. And if you just begin in verse 5, it says, The people spoke out against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Something fascinating about that little story. I know it's familiar to some of you, not all of you. Who sent the fiery serpents, which were biting the people, poisoning the people, and causing them to die? Who sent the serpents? God sent the serpents. Who prescribed the healing for the bites of the serpents and the poison? Who prescribed the healing? God prescribed the healing. In a sense, God created the problem, only to come along later and solve the problem. So here's the question. Why not just skip a step? I mean, why create the problem in the first place if you're just going to come along later and solve the problem? It's, it's the same question we could ask if we're thinking hard enough about our living in this fallen world being stuck here. could ask the question, well, wait a minute. I mean, who's the one who determined the world would be cursed? Who's the one that determined that the penalty for sin would be death? In one sense, it's just a natural consequence of abandoning the God of life, and in another sense, it's, it's the existence that we're all consigned to apart from any of our own choices. And so here we are in this place with this problem before us and no way to solve it except the God who kind of ordained that it would be that way. So why? Why would he, why would he operate like that? And we're back here in John 8. This is part of what Jesus is accomplishing in his ministry to his people. God has done things in such a way. He's given us realities to grapple with that acquaint us with our utter inability, with the complete desperation of our state, that we might look back to the God we abandoned. That's why. Because He knows the way our hearts, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way, haven't we? He knows our hearts tendency to, to wander. And He knows that apart from Him, there is only death. And so He ordained for things to play out in such a way that we would be stuck going down with the ship and there's only one way out and it's not looking within. It's not looking to myself. There is no help for sin there. There is no help for death there. It is looking up. It is when the sun is lifted up and we see him to be god dying for us rescuing us from the problem from which we could never rescue ourselves and we say wow and we say thank you god and we say you're amazing god i could i was so lost so desperately in need and you gave yourself for me he is giving himself for them at this very moment they don't even know the full fulfillment of what he's talking about he's going to go to the cross He's going to go to his own death. And as God going to his own death, he is also going through his own death. And he says, and you're coming with me. Because I live, you will live also. And that's the only way. And I know of no other source of real hope. In these conversations about these environmental issues, and these climate issues, and the impending doom of all that, I've heard more and more, and probably you've heard if you've paid attention to the news, there's all these stories about UFOs recently and like mainstream news networks and huge audiences and they're talking and these experts who are coming from the government and or former government members and all this talk and, and and some of the talking heads are saying, Well, maybe they're coming to tell us like how to do things better. They they've evolved beyond us and they're gonna come and help us from outside of this place. They're gonna come and help us. These same aliens, which can't seem to prevent crashing into a planet, these are the aliens we're going to trust. Supposedly, many aircraft have crashed into Earth, and the government is secretly holding them and reverse engineering them. And I don't know who knows. After 2020, I could probably believe just about anything. But um, but it's interesting that part of the storyline is well, maybe maybe they have something, some truth, or some way. Or some life to give us. Maybe they can help us to love and help us deal with our mortality problem. And 2,000 years ago, God gave us everything we need to know. We did it at a place in time, a point in time in history. Over the span of 33 years roughly of life. But He gave us everything we need to know. God touched down. God lived here, God loved here. God suffered here, God died here, and God rose here. And he says, "If you believe in me, you're coming with me. Amen, right? Amen. So it says many, many believed in him, so good, um, i turn you to first John for a moment. turn over to First John. Chapter 5, earlier in 1 John, he talks about our flesh, and it's being tethered to this world. And that the true definition of worldliness, this is just an important kind of preface here for what we're going to look at, but the true definition of worldliness, contrary to my upbringing um, in certain fundamentalist circles, the true definition of worldliness is not music with a drumbeat. Nor is it long hair or some other external thing. The true definition of worldliness, according to 1 John, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That is worldliness, according to 1 John. It's that we all have wants, all of us, on the inside that control us. We all have eyes that are in accordance with those wants, always looking for something in this world that we believe will satisfy us or fulfill us or give us contentment in some way, and we all have this pride of life that we just inflate our own sense of importance. We inflate our own sense of like self-congratulation. That is truly worldliness, and it's part of being a, a natural creature in this fallen order, in this fallen world, and it's part of where all the de- devastation and destruction comes from, at least relationally, for sure. And against that backdrop, we have this in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's your rescue right there. Not who you are. Not your ability, but who he is in his ability, in his death, in his resurrection, life granted to us freely as a gift of grace. Jesus offered it to these people back in John chapter 8 for their encouragement, for their healing, for their liberation. And he offers it to us today as well to believe in him to look away from ourselves. I hope when we, when we talk about these things, I hope when we talk about the, even the high standard of the law, which is why we say the law is not attainable, when we see the high standard of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and to realize, wow, within myself, I do not have the capacity for that. But there is one who does, and I'm putting my trust in him. That's what the Bible invites us to from cover to cover throughout its pages. A God who has ordained that things play out in such a way that we would realize, that we would know that we cannot trust in ourselves and we cannot trust ultimately in other people. We cannot trust in science or human developments, but that we have a God overall we can trust fully because he is trustworthy. And he's given us all the evidence we need through a man who came and lived and loved and died and rose. That we might rise with Him one day. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word and its testimony and how it points so clearly and so gloriously to Jesus as our Savior. And we can glibly talk about Him as our Savior, mention that He saved us from our sins, and we can overlook sometimes the depth and the profundity of that But this morning, you've reminded us of our mortality, of our limitations. You've reminded us of our sin and our death, which is all our ability can really create ultimately. And so we sit here, in a sense, in the ashes of that reality, in need of life. And you, through Jesus, have provided us life. We're so grateful. So grateful for your provision, God. So grateful for your coming into this fallen world on this rescue mission to meet us right where we were at, right where we're stuck, and to respond to our utter inability with your omnipotent ability, limitless ability. And, and you even worked in our lives, and I, and I pray, God, this morning as I think about everyone here and people watching online, whatever the limitations. Maybe maybe struggles with sin in some way, maybe a failure of some kind and a sense of shame or guilt. Maybe someone who's can't believe they flew off the handle again and lost their temper with their kids or had too much to drink, or looked at things on the internet that they know that they only end up feeling guilty and ashamed and empty. Or maybe someone blew it at work. Or maybe someone's just completely without any kind of joy, just filled with anxiety and, and depression and And they're just just very aware of their inability. God, would you please, through what they've heard this morning, point them to Jesus, the source of life, the one with the ability, the sinless one, the loving one, the merciful one, the gracious one, the just one, the one who has within his own power everything we need, point them to him. And, And for those who are maybe struggling with some physical limitation in some way, maybe battling cancer or some kind of disability, maybe previously had abilities in their bodies that they no longer have now or had abilities in their bodies that didn't hurt and ache and now there's constant hurt and ache. Through these physical limitations and hardships, God, would you please point your people to you, the source of resurrection life. Help us to believe your promises. Help us to believe in what is to come a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, all because we will see you as you are and we will be like you. So be with your people. Minister to your people. Thank you for your truth. Even as we sing this final song, Lord, help us to sing hearts filled with gratitude and worship because of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.